Go ahead and take your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to get straight to the point here this morning. It is good to be in God's house and uh, glad that you are feeling better. I tell you, it just seems like so much sickness going around. How many of you have been sick in the last couple of weeks? Raise your hand. Wow, that is a lot of hands raised. We're glad that you're feeling better. And uh, I guess it's kind of shift change around Temple Baptist Church, and uh, hopefully you will stay better, and then the ones that are sick will be back with us hopefully uh, next week. First Corinthians chapter number one, we're going to read one verse of scripture, and uh, I'm excited about the message that I have for you here this morning. I think it's a very vital truth. It's a very misunderstood truth, and uh, hopefully we'll be a help and a blessing to you this morning. First Corinthians chapter number one. Look with me at verse number 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Now, this is talking about in Christ, that Christ is made unto us. And here's the list of what Christ is made unto us. Wisdom and righteousness. You know, let me back up here just a little bit. You know that if Jesus is in you, if you're saved, then Jesus is in you. And if Jesus is in you, He is wisdom. He is wisdom personified. Now that means that as a believer with Jesus inside of me, He is trying to come out in my life. He's trying to give me wisdom to live my life by. I'm amazed at how many professing believers today say that they're saved, but their lives are totally typified by the life of a fool. You know, there's a lot of things we could describe a fool as. A fool is someone who always thinks they're the exception to the rule. The fool is the one that does the things that makes him feel good or makes him... He doesn't think about the consequences. He just thinks about himself and what he wants to do and then runs just headlong right into the decision that he makes. And then when he suffers the consequences, he doesn't seem to ever change. As believers, we should be living a life of wisdom because wisdom personified lives inside of us. Righteousness, how about that? When Jesus comes inside of our heart and life, then He is righteousness personified and He should be affecting our personality in making us righteous. And then the next word is what I'm going to speak on here this morning and sanctification. We're going to talk about understanding sanctification. Jesus is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. If you are a born-again Christian, then we all should have a biblical understanding of the word sanctification. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house today and study the topic of sanctification. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Father, may you use the teaching this morning to draw each and every one of us closer to you. We pray, Father, that we would recognize all that you've done for us. We'd be grateful and mindful. We pray, Father, that we would allow you to work in our life here in the present. And Father, we look forward to what you have in store for us in the future We ask your blessings upon this service, in Jesus' name, amen. There is a 
a commercial on, you know, some of the not-so-popular channels. I know a lot of times we, uh, at our home, we watch kind of off the wall. You're going to find something clean to watch. You're probably going to be watching some kind of a, um, kind of a, what's the word that I want? A low-income channel. I, I guess. I mean, most of the networks, you know, you just don't know what you're getting. In fact, most of the time you do know what you're getting and it's not good. But anyhow, make a long story short, there's a commercial that frequently pops up. And I always keep the remote nearby. And this commercial is for some type of an organization that is trying to help abused animals. And so... Boom, this commercial comes up, and here is, uh, here's a series of pictures of dogs that have these sad eyes, skin and bones. I mean, these dogs in this commercial look like every dog that I saw in Papua New Guinea when we visited there. You don't have to worry about them eating the dogs in Papua New Guinea. There's no meat on them. I mean, pitiful-looking dogs, skin and bones, and in this commercial... You see these sad, pitiful dogs shivering out in the cold, bones showing from no no food and starvation, and their eyes and their faces looking sad. My wife immediately will say, no, turn to the channel, because she she loves dogs, and she she cannot even handle emotionally seeing that commercial. And so, uh, I mean, you think that something wicked was on the, the, turn it, turn it, and so... couple times every now and then uh, she'll be sitting on the couch and she'll be looking at her phone and that commercial will come on and I'll just leave it on there. And I'll wait for her to glance up. <laughs> I'm just being mean. But um, I'd like to ask you to, to kind of play along with me here this morning and I'd like you to imagine yourself as one of those dogs. Now, if I were imagining myself to be a pitiful, starving, neglected dog, I wonder what breed of dog that I would imagine myself to be. I'm sure some of you men, it's like, well, I'd be a pit bull. (laughs) I I know one thing. I I would not envision myself as a chihuahua. (laughs) Now, I know that those of you that are chihuahua owners. You, everybody loves their chihuahua. I have never owned one. And so because of that, they're one of my least favorite breeds of dogs. They're very protective. If you don't own them, then they just want to chew on your ankles. <laughs> or they're very nervous, and when you go to try to give them some attention and pet them, their eyes bug out and they just shake and shiver. It's like, that's okay. I'm just trying to give you some love here. But So chihuahuas would probably not be my choice. But whatever dog, I want you to just picture yourself as one of these starving, neglected, out in the cold, shivering dogs that uh, are in dire need of help. Imagine that on one of these cold, hungry mornings, that you get scooped up by animal control, the dog catcher. They come by and they capture you, they place you in their truck, they haul you off to the pound, and there as you are in your cage at the pound, you know that 
you will be exterminated on some unknown imminent day in the future. And then one day, a wealthy couple enters the room. This room is filled with cages, each one housing a canine in similar condition. This wealthy couple, they look at all these different dogs in the cages, and they stop and look inside of your cage. You look up with your sad eyes as if to say, please rescue me. The next thing you know, you are being released from your cage and placed in the hands of these compassionate people. They place a collar and a tag on you that has your new name embossed on it. They take you to the veterinarian who treats you for your fleas and your sickness. They then take you to the groomer who cleans you up, trims your shaggy hair. I mean, gives you one of those fifi haircuts. You know, the kind. They stop by the pet store and buy you food and chew toys and treats, and then uh, they have you bathed and give you, um, give you everything that you could possibly want as a dog. And then finally, they take you home to live with them. Well, your life was changed the moment that you met them, very different from the dogs you left behind at the pound. You are no longer one of them. You belong to a new family. Folks, this is a picture of what the Bible teaches on sanctification. Sanctification, by definition, it's the act of making holy, of setting apart or consecrating for a sacred service. Understanding sanctification requires distinguishing between three tenses, past, present, and future. The first thing that we'll look at is past sanctification. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. We read in verse number 10, Hebrews 10, verse number 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I like that once for all, don't you? I I know many people that were raised in, let's say, Catholicism. And in Catholicism, every single week they, they have a mass, which is supposedly a recreation of the death. When they partake of that wafer, when they drink of that grape juice, it is a reenactment of the death of Christ. But I've got news for you that the death of Christ on Calvary's cross was once for all. It was sufficient and nothing has to be added to it. Now we have communion to as a memory, as a remembrance of that event. But according to the scripture, there is no redeeming quality in communion. It's about fellowship. It's about having our life and the body and blood of Jesus Christ in common with one another. So the, 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 the death of Jesus Christ was once for all. Look at verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now notice the comma after forever. 
That's a very important comma. Because Jesus is not going to be sitting at the right hand of God forever. Revelation 19.11 says He's coming back on a white horse. So the forever is not referring to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. The forever is talking about the one sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of the human race. One sacrifice forever. Never to be repeated. Never to be duplicated. It was one sacrifice forever sufficient. And praise the Lord for that. But we see here this past sanctification. If you could think about this couple that rescued you from the pound. You know who I'm talking about because you have imagined it in your mind, correct? You are that mongrel that got put in the pound that was sick and weak and starving. And this couple came by and rescued you. For this couple to take you from the pound, they had to fill out the necessary paperwork. They had to pay all the required fees. They had to demonstrate that they could provide a home for you. You know what that is? That is past sanctification. Our sanctification, what Jesus did for us some 2,000 years ago, He redeemed us, He saved us, He sanctified us by the offering of Himself on Calvary's cross. Jesus paid the necessary fees. He rose again to rescue us from the impending destruction that we were facing. The administrators at the pound no longer have any ownership. Thank God the devil has no ownership over us any longer. We are saved. We have a new owner. And Jesus paid the price for us on Calvary's cross. Past sanctification delivers us from the penalty of our sin. We know what the penalty is. For the wages of sin is death. There's death. There's hell. There's darkness. There's aloneness. There's torment. All of these are the consequences of our sin. That is what our lives are going to be typified by until Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. And then we find number two, present sanctification. If you would, turn to John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17. This is Jesus before the cross. He is praying for all who will believe upon Him. Have you ever asked somebody to pray for you? I've had people ask me to pray for them. And I try my best whenever somebody asks me to pray for them to do so. And uh, I've had times where I've prayed and it seems like maybe God answered my prayer. I've had other times where I've prayed for people and their problem wasn't solved. And I, I don't know if it was my prayer that was the problem. I don't know if it was their life, but prayer is a powerful thing. And, and I know when I am in serious, serious condition and I need an answered prayer, there are some people that I would have a greater tendency to go to and ask them to pray for me than others. You know, people who are living just kind of a nominal Christian life, who just, you know, bounce into church every now and then, don't really live for the Lord, just kind of claim to be a Christian, that's not the person that I'm going to be asking to pray for me. But the child of God, the saint of God that walks with God and knows God, that 
that doesn't use prayer as a spare tire, but prays daily and stays in the Word of God. And every time the doors open at church, you see them. Every time that there's outreach, they're out there. Those are the kind of people that, hey, I think that I got a better chance of getting them to get a hold of God for me than the person who just kind of doesn't take God very seriously. Now, how would you like for Jesus to pray for you? Wow, that sounds like a good, a good deal, amen? Well, I got good news for you. He did pray for us. He prayed for us before He went to the cross. And we find that prayer here in John chapter 17. Look with me at verse number 13. Jesus here, talking to His heavenly Father, He says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to have joy. Now, I think there's a difference between joy and happiness. Something about that word happiness, I think it's connected to the word happenings, what's going on in our life. There are circumstances in our life that make it difficult to be happy. But, you know, you can be going through a tough time and not necessarily you know, uh, be bouncing around like Pollyanna or Mary Poppins, but you can be going through a tough time, but still have some peace and some joy in your heart. That's a wonderful thing, and that comes from the grace of God. Verse number 13, excuse me, verse 14, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Listen, child of God, you're no longer living in the pound. You're no longer there among all the other flea-bitten mongrels. Jesus has given us His Word. We're not of the world anymore. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is present sanctification. This is God taking us from the pound and taking us to the veterinarian, taking us to the dog groomer, taking us to get the kind of food that we can eat that is healthy. Hey, this book right here says that it's the water of life. This book here says that it's the bread of life. This book here is the light of God. This book is everything that we need in order to become conformed to be more like Jesus Christ. It's a present process that takes place in our life. We'll not turn there for sake of time, but in John chapter 13, there's a tremendous story that takes place in which Jesus... He takes and he girds himself and puts a towel over his arm and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Here he comes along to Peter, Peter being the type A personality that he was. I mean, Peter never met a circumstance that he couldn't say something about. Always leading with his mouth. And Peter says, "Uh, not so, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And the Lord looks at Peter and says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part in me. I don't, in, in other words, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Peter. And so Peter jumps 
from sticking his foot in his mouth, no pun intended, to all of a sudden becoming the super saint. Oh, well then, Lord, don't, don't just wash my feet. Wash my head and my hands. Wash my whole body. You know, the super saint that always jumps. It has to be sound more spiritual. They're not more spiritual, but they like to sound more spiritual. So Peter jumps into that mode, and the Lord says, he says quite plainly in John 13.10, he says, he that is washed. You see, if we're saved, we're already washed. But we walk through this life, and our feet get dirty. You cannot come in contact with this sinful world and not get your feet dirty. You're already washed. You're already cleansed. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. But the Lord says, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. The not all is talking about Judas Iscariot, who was of the devil. The Lord knew, you know, there are a lot of people who claim to be gods, but they're not. And, of course, you can know them by their fruit. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of, of God. And so, uh, the Lord knows that. But there is a present sanctification that takes place in each and every one of our lives. As uh, we have new owners, and our new owners have taken responsibility to feed us, protect us, nurse us, clean us up, and continue that process whenever it is needed. Thank God for the present sanctification that works in our life. I've said this many times, but I'm still in awe at all that God has done. I fully understand that as you look, you can look at my life, you get close enough to me, you spend enough time with me, you're going to find out, wow, that preacher, he's not perfect. I, I promise you. It won't take you very long. You'll find out that I'm a very imperfect person. If I got around you, I'd probably find the same thing. But you know what? You're not looking at the finished product, praise the Lord. And I'll tell you something else. If you knew me in 1984, and you compared the 1984 Randy Mitchell to the 2020 Randy Mitchell, you would go, that's amazing. That is amazing. Hey, I'm not the finished product, and I'm not perfect, but I tell you what, God has done so much in my life, and He hasn't just cleaned the outward. He's put some love in my heart toward people. He's put some grace. He's put some patience. He's, he's given me some wisdom. I used to make some really, really dumb mistakes. I'm thankful that I never do anymore. Yeah, I still make some doozies, but not like the ones that I used to. Man, the way that I thought, the way that I felt, the behavior that was characteristic of my life, even 10 years after I got right with the Lord, I look back and boy, I thought that I, I thought that I was doing so good, and then God would show up in my life, take me behind the woodshed. We were joking in Christian life training class that you know, that's the problem with today's culture. Nobody burns wood anymore. So we don't have woodsheds. And so we have undisciplined children. 
we would get back to burning wood and heating our homes. We'd have woodsheds, and then when children behave, we could take them behind the woodshed and wear them out. Of course, I'm just joking. Not about the wearing out part. Trust me, that can still be done without a woodshed. Yeah, all you need, well, let's move on here before we get too controversial. God's taken me behind the woodshed. God has put trials in my life to purge me. He's put me through some fires to purge away the dross. He's taken my life like a potter and stuck me on a spinning wheel and times in my life where all I think, I just feel like my whole world is spinning around me, not knowing that that spinning was required for him to take his hands and begin to mold and fashion me into what he wants me to become. Thank God, as the song says, he's still working on me. And I praise the Lord for that. This is the sanctification process. Thank God He takes care of us. Present sanctification delivers us from the power of sin. Past sanctification delivers us from the penalty of sin, whereas present sanctification delivers us from the power of sin. And that brings us to number three, and that is future sanctification. Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter number three. 1 John chapter number 3. And look with me at verse number 2. Another wonderful passage of Scripture. The Bible says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Listen, when you got saved, you at that moment became a child of God. Our salvation takes place the moment that we trust Christ. It is not something that we wait to find out if we have once we die. It is a present tense thing. Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Hey, what am I going to be like in heaven? A lot of people have thought about that. What am I going to look like? Am I going to look like I do right now? I hope not. Some of you think, well, I hope I look like I do now. You you need to look in the mirror again. You know, am I going to be am, am am I going to be 33 and a half years old like Jesus was? You know, that's a pretty good age to be, you know. Not bad. I know a lot of ladies that wish they were 33 and a half years old again. You know. What you know, are you are you women going to be women in heaven? Are, are us men going to be men? Am I going to be overweight in heaven? You know, I, there's all these questions. And you know what? I, I can't give you a definitive answer, except for I can give you this. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I don't know if that's talking about our physical appearance, but it certainly has something to do with our understanding. We shall see Him as He is, and we shall recognize one another as we are, and that's future sanctification. Listen, 
all of this work, I mentioned that I'm not perfect yet, and I'm not going to be perfect this side of heaven, this side of the rapture, this side of the resurrection, but I got good news for all of us if we're saved. We got saved the moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when He shall appear, we're going to be perfect just like Him. You know that resurrection body of Jesus Christ? It still had some nail prints in it, didn't it? still had some residual effect of his life here on this earth. And the disciples were able to recognize him by the nail prints. And yet we find that Jesus was able to travel at the speed of thought. Now the speed of light's pretty fast. I don't even remember what it is, but I know it's pretty stinking fast. Amen? But you know that Jesus, when he resurrected, there was a time there when he actually went to the third heaven where God's throne is, and came back to this earth in just a matter of kind of the blinking of an eye. It all happened in time where here on this earth, the disciples didn't even recognize it. At one point, Jesus said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended. And then just a few verses later, only minutes had passed by that the Lord says to Thomas, he says, reach hither and touch my side and my hands. And so obviously during that time frame, Jesus as the high priest had went to the third heaven and presented his blood there at the mercy seat of God. He traveled at the speed of thought. I can't even fathom that. He was able to pass through walls. He was able to change the way that he looked. He was able to eat broiled fish and honeycomb and not get fat. Say, how do you know that? I just do. And so in his glorified body, he didn't need to eat, but he got to eat. Now, wouldn't that be a blessing? He didn't need to eat, but he got to eat. He's got to eat for enjoyment. Now, in America today, we probably that's just not a big deal to us, because half the time, I think we eat for enjoyment, not because we need to. But in our glorified bodies, they're not going to get sick. Remember how some of you felt... Last week when you were sick, you're never going to get sick again. You know what? I'm not going to have any pain in my shoulder again. I am really looking forward to that day. I'm kind of hopeful that maybe it'll happen in this lifetime, like maybe in a month or a week. That'd be a blessing. But you ever just get tired of hurting, tired of suffering, tired of having that health condition that no matter what happens, the doctors can't seem to find what the problem is, and you just keep going through tests and tests and procedures and doesn't seem like you're any better, that can be discouraging. Hey, good news. The body that we're going to have when this future sanctification takes place is going to be free of all illness. You're never going to have fear. You're never going to have anxiety. You're never going to have depression. It's going to be a perfect body. Praise the Lord in a perfect environment. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Too many Calvinists get all 
just wrapped up in this word foreknow and this word predestinate. I don't believe that that means that God hand-selected certain people to get saved and certain people to go to hell. I don't believe that's what what it means. But I will say this, one thing I do know about this verse is that as a child of God who is saved, I have been predestinated to be like Jesus Christ someday. And so, present sanctification is the process in which we become less like us and more like Jesus while we're alive on this earth. But future sanctification is that moment in time where everything that God wants to do in our lives is going to be fulfilled in that moment when we receive a perfect body and God takes us to a perfect environment. Listen, back to our dog story. Your owners did not remove you from your cage so that you could return to the alley and pillage in the garbage cans trying to find a meal. They rescued you so that you could share their mansion with them. How about that? John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So future sanctification delivers us from the presence of sin. Now before I get to my conclusion this morning, I want to show you a couple of passages in the Scripture where we see all three tenses of sanctification present. Past, present, and future. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25, here's a great reminder to husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All right, the husband gives himself. When we get married, we become husband and wife. Then he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's the process. You know, marriage... The, the, the married walking down the aisle and saying I do is just the beginning of a relationship. And in the same sense, there are many believers, maybe someone here today, that when you think about your salvation, all you can think about is that moment back in time when you got saved. Listen, salvation is not just something that took place in the past. It is a relationship. It is experiential. I mean, can you imagine if somebody, those of you that are married, someone come up to you and say, hey, are you married? Oh, I hope so. Uh, I think so. What? You don't know if you're married? Well, yeah, I got this, I got this marriage certificate that says that I am. Oh, come on, give me a break. You have to pull out your marriage certificate to prove that you're married? Listen, you should be able to know that you're married because you're going to go home to your husband or your wife and you live with them, you're with them. And you know, in that marriage process, there is a process of sanctification, of conformity. You know what? My, uh, before my mother passed away, she used to say something every now and then. She'd say, she'd say, well, son, she said, I brought you into this world, but Lynn cleaned you up. <laughs> Now, I understand that in the passage here, it's talking about husbands sanctifying their wives. But in a relationship, if we, are, if we love one another, 
that desire to please one another causes us to change. Now, the worst thing that you can do in your marriage to try, is to try uh, purposefully to change your spouse. Because you trying to change them just emanates rejection. And rejection and unacceptance and disapproval is the worst environment for change that you can imagine. When somebody doesn't accept you the way that you are, that doesn't make you want to change. But you know, the Bible says that when we got saved, that we became accepted in the Beloved. And so we got accepted the moment we got born again, and that acceptance, when we think about it, it's like, wow, God accepted me. I was that that flea bag mutt in a cage, ready for destruction, and Jesus came by, and He opened up that cage, and He pulled me out, and He drew me to His bosom, and then He fed me, He clothed me, He, he, he fixed me. He, no, that wasn't a good turn. That was not a well-planned out word. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Let's get back on track, Mitchell. He took me home with him, and I became part of his family living in his house. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And that process, it begins in a husband-wife relationship. If you want to change your spouse, you're better off to accept them the way that they are And then watch and see how they they desire to change to try to please you because they're responding to you accepting them the way that they are. Sounds a little psychological, but it's not. It's a spiritual truth. God accepts us the way that we are, but then He cleans us up. He doesn't clean us up through rejection. He cleans us up through acceptance. And thank God for that. Then it says in verse 27 that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You get married, that's past sanctification. You're living together, you've got this process that is present sanctification, and then one day, one day the bride is going to be perfect and spotless without any wrinkles. That is future sanctification. One more before we conclude. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. That's past sanctification. Let us go therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. That's present sanctification. Verse number 14, For here... Have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come? That's future sanctification. Salvation or rescue, deliverance from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and praise God one day from the presence of sin. In conclusion, I'd like to say this. Past sanctification, what Jesus did on the cross, future sanctification, what's God's going to do for our body and for our location. These are all in God's hands. Jesus took care of everything in the past on the cross of Calvary. One day when the rapture takes place, it's not going to be voluntary. We can't make it happen. It is a time in which the Lord knows. And listen, if you're born again, you're going up. 
You can say, I don't want to, it doesn't matter. If you are born again, you're going up. If you die before the rapture takes place and your body is put into that ground, when that rapture takes place, you're coming up first. And it is the power of Christ's resurrection, not our own power. So we don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. These are in God's hands. Colossians 1.22 In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. That's what God is going to do. Well, present sanctification... I would have to say that it's also His work. But, but, He only does it in conjunction with our will. The present sanctification, God does it in conjunction, not against, not contrary to our will. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 with me. 1 Thessalonians Chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, Abstaining, that's something that we have to do with our will. For this, uh, excuse me, that, let me find my place again here. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Possessing your vessel. That's a fancy way of saying controlling what you do in your body. Verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." And so in this present sanctification, God does the work. God calls us and says, come on, I want you to be holy. But we have to respond with our will. We have to possess our vessel. We have to abstain from fornication. We have to avoid sin. And we have to follow the things that are righteous and the things that God says that He wants us to do. It's a conjunction with the will of God. My wife is... uh, is the one that um, takes the best care of our dog. She loves our dog more than I do. Sometimes my dog gets on our nerves, especially when it gets in the kitchen and starts begging. I hate that. I'm always the one shooing our dog out of the kitchen, and she's getting old, and she's deaf, and so my wife's always, oh, don't be mean to the puppy. You know, it's like, meh. But my wife will give uh, our dog a treat um, 47 times a day, it seems like. No, just once a day, all right? So she'll give it a treat. The, the treat that my dog likes the best is an empty ice cream cone. We don't know why. There's no flavor to them. There's just the crunch. But our dog likes the crunch of an ice cream cone. 
And my, my wife has this game that she plays with our dog that when the dog comes to get the treat, she'll sit down. And, uh, and so my wife will say, one, and she'll hold the treat out there. And our dog will take one of its paws and go, one, two, three, and then she gives it the ice cream cone. Say, why does she do that? Well, she doesn't do it for the dog's pleasure. She does it for her pleasure. It's just a ritual. She is entertained by the fact that she can make the dog do this cute little thing, one, two, three, and then crunch. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? One, two, three, crunch. Made me think of that. But she gets pleasure out of having the dog do one, two, three. Makes no sense to the dog, but the dog does it because the dog knows if I do that, I'm going to get the treat. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means complete. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brothers and sisters, our sanctification, our rescue from this wicked, evil world took place at Calvary's cross some 2,000 years ago. Our future sanctification, once we're saved, is sealed. The the earnest has been paid. We Listen, what we see today, what we feel, what we experience, we are saved. Our soul is saved, but we are still in these sin-cursed bodies. But God's going to take care of that one day. And I praise Him for it. But the here and the now, the present sanctification... God wants us to be wholly sanctified, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And this happens in conjunction with His will. Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. Will you allow God to clean you up? Or do you miss the alley and the garbage can and the cage? Listen, if you are a child of God, you have been rescued from that wicked life so that God can make us into something that brings Him glory and honor and pleasure. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the sanctification process that God does in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for the sanctifying process. Thank You for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that helps us and guides us. And Lord, You've been so good to us. We thank You for rescuing us from our lives of destruction. And Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to surrender our will and to submit ourselves to your sanctifying process. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.